Well, the first song we sang this morning gave you a preview of the introduction to my sermon this morning. Timing was excellent, Jonathan. But I want to begin. Holy One of Israel, Lord God Almighty, Lord of all. King of kings, Lord of lords, Lord Jesus Christ. Alpha and Omega, author and finisher of our faith. Righteous judge, wonderful counselor, advocate. The way, the truth, the life. Prince of peace, light of the world. Bright and morning star, son of righteousness, son of God. The Word, Messiah, Savior, Chief Cornerstone, Head of the Church, Master, Rabbi, Teacher, Shepherd, Lamb of God, Son of Man, Man of Sorrows, Redeemer, Resurrection, and the Life, I am Almighty God. Those are all biblical names for Jesus. And I'd like to suggest one more this morning. While not actually used as a title for Jesus, John certainly presents our Lord as the foot washer. <laughs> and he's the only one to do so because he's the only one to record the event. It's found in John 13 where we see the heart of the foot washer, the work of the foot washer, and the example of the foot washer. John 13, first four verses, the heart of the foot washer. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Well, let's set the scene. Now, Jesus' last words to the general public were spoken as he departed on Tuesday evening. In essence, he said, I have shown you the Father. I have brought you light. I have offered you salvation. I have given you the word of God now it's up to you. He then retreated with his disciples and spent Wednesday and Thursday alone with them. He knew that the hour had come for his departure out of the world. It was time for him to finish the job he had come to do. It was time for him to die to give himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for mankind. And he was ready to do it. He was willing to die for his own, those who would believe in him because of his great love. 
John said he loved them to the end or to the utmost. He was willing to do whatever was required. Before his death, however, the other Gospels tell us he earnestly desired to eat the Passover meal with his disciples one last time. He wanted a last supper with the disciples he loved and who loved him. At least most of them loved him. One was about to betray him, and Jesus knew it. The amazing thing, however, is that even though he knew Judas would betray him that same night, Jesus included him in the Last Supper. How was he able to do that? Well, he realized what was going on in Judas's heart. He knew that spiritual warfare was being fought, and he knew that Judas had lost a battle within himself. Jesus knew that Satan had put betrayal into the heart of Judas. Now, that did not excuse Judas for doing what he was about to do. But knowing that Satan was behind his activities did make it easier to understand. And sometimes we do need to be reminded about that when people turn on us. You know, Satan has always worked hard to turn brother against brother, as he did between the very first two brothers. We should recognize his handiwork when we see it and not react with bitterness against those who fall victim to him. Jesus didn't. He didn't take a defensive posture against Judas. He didn't exclude him from the circle of his intimate friends, knowing full well what he was going to do. He wasn't threatened by him. Jesus knew he had the power and authority to do whatever needed to be done because the Father had given all things into his hands. Judas wasn't in control. Jesus was. Jesus was not an unwilling pawn in the plan of redemption. He was, in fact, its architect. He knew who he was and where he was going. So he didn't have to expose Judas for what he was. Nor did he have to fight to maintain his standing among the disciples. He didn't have to prove anything to anyone. He didn't have to maintain an image to cover up a fragile ego. He was therefore free to do whatever needed to be done. He could do whatever the situation demanded. And an awkward situation soon developed at the meal. Jesus had sent some disciples ahead to get things ready for the Passover. They had found the upper room and made the preparations. The table was there. The pillows upon which they would recline around the table in oriental fashion were there. The food was there. By the door was a pitcher of water and a bowl to be used for washing their feet, which would have been dusty from travel and were always cleansed before eating a formal meal. But since it was to be a private, intimate meal, there were no servants present. When they arrived, Luke tells us they, that a dispute arose among the disciples as to 
which one of them was the greatest. No doubt they were jockeying for positions around the table. The last thing anyone wanted to do was to do something beneath him. They all reclined with their dirty feet sticking out behind them, and no one was about to wash feet. That was the job of a lowly servant. And they were disciples of the Son of God. So Jesus rose up from the table, stripped down to his loincloth, wrapped a towel around himself, and willingly took on the role of servant. He would do the work of the foot washer. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. Peter Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. It is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. As the disciples watched, Jesus poured water into the basin and began washing their feet. He unloosed their sandals, something John the Baptist had said he was unworthy to do for Jesus, and washed their feet. He wiped them dry with the end of the towel he had wrapped around himself. Apparently, no one said anything as Jesus began washing their feet. They were probably too embarrassed to say anything after their argument about who was the greatest. No one said anything until Jesus got to Peter. Then a question was raised, Lord, do you wash my feet? His voice was answering, no way, no way. Jesus knew Peter didn't realize the significance of what he was doing, and he didn't try to explain it. He simply told Peter that one day he would understand what he was doing. And Peter, in accordance with his impetuous nature, strenuously objected, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus countered by saying it was essential that he be washed, that if he didn't wash him, he could have no part with him. Why did Jesus say that? Was washing his feet that important? Did Jesus only want disciples who had clean feet? Obviously, there was more to it than clean feet. And someday, after Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, Peter would understand what Jesus was saying about the need to be washed. For now, it was enough 
that Jesus had said he had to do it. So Peter immediately reversed himself. He went from never shall you wash my feet to Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In effect, Jesus then said, don't be silly. If you had a bath, all you need do is wash your feet. He then went on to talk about being completely clean and said, you are clean, but not all of you. Those words were no doubt cryptic to the disciples. Later they would realize that Jesus wasn't talking about physical cleanliness here. He had switched gears and was talking about spiritual cleanliness. And when he said, not all of you are clean, he was talking about Judas. Again, Peter didn't understand all of this at the time. But he did understand that Jesus was saying it was essential that he be washed. So he submitted to having his feet washed. And by doing so, he acknowledged his need to be cleansed by Jesus. Today, we acknowledge our need to be cleansed by submitting to baptism. We can't come to Jesus and have our feet washed by him, but we can obey him in Christian baptism. We can acknowledge our faith in what he did for us on the cross, that through his death, we can be cleansed of our sins. Even today, we are made clean by the foot washer. That is his work, removing the dirt from our lives. But there's one other thing we need to know about the foot washer. We need to realize that in doing what he did, he also left us an example to follow. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. When Jesus finished washing feet, he put his outer garments back on, took his place at the table and asked, do you know what I've done to you? The answer was no. They did not understand the significance of Jesus' action, and they wouldn't for some time. They could, however, learn from his example. They were right in calling him teacher and Lord, but they needed to learn that being teacher and Lord didn't mean he was above meeting needs, that he was too good to wash feet. And if he was willing to serve others, they should be willing 
to do the same. A slave is not greater than his master. Obviously, there's a lesson for us here too. If our Lord was willing to wash feet, we must do likewise. Now, I don't believe Jesus was making foot washing an ordinance for the church here. He simply said he was giving us an example to follow. Nowhere in scripture are we given an explicit command to wash feet. We don't find the early church practicing foot washing as a part of their worship service. And as far as I can tell, there's no need to wash feet in church today. If there were, would do it. Perhaps a better way to follow Jesus' example in this would be to work in the nursery and change a poopy diaper or care for the sick and clean up a mess or mow the grass and pull weeds or stick around tonight and help clean up after the meal. Now the example Jesus set was one of meeting needs, of being willing to do anything to help a brother, of realizing that no task is beneath our station in life, not if we have a servant's heart and follow the example of the foot washer. And if we would be blessed by God, we must be willing to serve one another. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. We must not only be willing to serve, we must actually do it. It's not enough to have good intentions. We must actually rise from the table, strip ourselves of our pride, and go to work. Even if everyone else is trying to ignore what needs to be done because they don't want to do it. That's what Jesus did. And when we serve, we must make certain we aren't doing it with resentment or bitterness. Thinking someone else should really be doing it. To serve as Jesus did. We must serve with a pure heart. And to do that, we must be cleansed by the foot washer himself. If you've not already asked him to do so, now is the time to ask him to cleanse you. And if you've said no to baptism, now is the time to stop objecting and to say, wash me, wash all of me. If you need to be washed, now's the time to let it be known. Let's stand.